Let's get back to what we're doing. We're talking about the prophets. We've uh, had five weeks already talking about the prophets. What is a prophet? We talked about the fact that the role of a prophet dealt sometimes with foretelling. They would tell people what God is about to do. Sometimes you use prophets. In the case of the Pharaoh in Joseph's day, he gave some dreams to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh was confused, he asked Joseph to come. And Joseph flat out told him, God has told you what he is about to do. But even if they're not foretelling, prophets spend a lot of time foretelling. Holding people to the standards that God has given. Letting people know that it does make a difference what we believe and how we practice. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about true prophets. And you can tell a true prophet from a false prophet because a true prophet will say a thing and it comes to pass. Or it confirms or coincides with what God has said in His Word. Sometimes the preachers are bad about going way beyond what the Scriptures say. I heard a preacher once say, uh, if you love the Lord, you'll buy a Chevrolet, not a Bolton. What's your text for that one, preacher? Where are you coming from there? So some things, I don't know the Scriptures specifically speak to, but there are some standards that we need to be held to. There are some principles that we ought to be motivated by. We have some objectives that are to honor God. That's supposed to be first and foremost. We talk, didn't talk about the false prophets, but I save the best for last. Because I want to talk this morning about the greatest prophets. Hmm. Who would be the greatest prophet? You know, if you ask different people, you'll get different answers. That's true about a lot of things, isn't it? Did you know that for the last 15 centuries, there's been a religious movement moving? All started with a little fella born in 570, and he claimed to have heard from the angel Gabriel. You know what I'm talking about? His devotees call him Muhammad. We call him Muhammad. Islam. And it's interesting. Those folks, they talk about Moses. They talk about the other prophets that the Jews would have talked about in their day. And they talk about even Jesus as a prophet. But according to Islam, in fact, their creed, if you, want, if you want the easy way to become a Muslim, you must recite the first of their pillars. There is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. You see, they will say, oh yeah, you Jews and even you Christians, that, we're okay with that. But you must acknowledge that the last 
and the greatest prophet was Muhammad, that's how we say it. But now Muhammad is not the greatest prophet. In this country, 200 years ago, in the 1800s, there was a man started out, I believe it was in New York State, and he claimed to have a communication from God. And he saw some stuff, and he gave some word, and he, by his devotees, is considered a martyr. The great prophet, Joseph Smith. We know them as the Mormons. They are the prophets. And that's who they're talking about when they say, the prophet. So if you have a Muslim, when they say the prophet, they mean Muhammad. When you have a Mormon and he says the prophet, he's talking about Joseph Smith. And a little bit after the days of Smith and company, you know, there was a lady who decided to get on the deal. Her name was Ellen G. White. You ever heard of Ellen G. White? Ellen G. White started a group that we know today as the Seventh-day Adventists. She is the prophet, according to them. But I want you to know that none of those what I want to talk about. Turn to Luke chapter 1. And if you know the context, keep it out of your mind for a moment. But based on this verse, who do you suppose is this great prophet? Luke 1, verse 76. Give you a moment to turn over. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophets of the highest. I shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. And I'm talking about Muhammad. I'm talking about Joseph Smith. I'm talking about Ellen G. White. Or anybody else. You know who that's talking about? John the Baptist. That's right. For see, John the Baptist, we don't think of John the Baptist as a prophet. But he was. I got a pretty good authority that John the Baptist was a prophet. Jesus himself acknowledged him. For example, go to Matthew chapter 11. But you see, John began preaching before Jesus did. John was used to baptize Jesus. John the, the, the John the Baptist had his own disciples and when Jesus' disciples said, sometimes we get kind of compared to them and we're kind of talked about as a Johnny come lately, but, but what's going on there? And then John the Baptist had the courage to stand up to a wicked king who had taken his own sister-in-law and told her to move into the palace. And he says, this is not right for you to have your brother's wife. Now, there's something like that in the Old Testament where a prophet named Nathan stood up to David 
and said, Thou art the man. And David was smitten. One good evidence that he was a saved man is when his sin was shown to him, it cut him to the quick. You know, folks, if you're really saved, it should bother you when you think about the sins you have committed and maybe the sins you are even now contemplating. Mm. But it didn't go quite so well for John the Baptist in the eyes of this world. For he stood up to that Herod and he told him, it's not right for you to have your mother's wife. And Herod put him in prison. While he was in the prison, the woman who was the object of this wrong attraction goes to Herod and said, would you give me anything I asked for? Well, sure. I want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. Well, maybe it wasn't silver, but it was a platter. Which meant, we're going to have to chop off his head, make sure he was dead. And she got her wish. And when it's Jesus' opportunity to say something about the deceased, that's what we're reading here in chapter 11. Verse 9. What went ye out for to see? These people went out there in the woods and they heard John the Baptist. This guy was different. He didn't speak in guarded terms and soft tones. He bellowed forth. He preached that people need to repent. And when people said, Well, we're fine religious folks, we're going to join the crowd. Except you repent. Bring forth fruit for, for repentance, he said. He made it clear. He wasn't going to wall around or fool around or anything like that. He was a prophet. We might call him the last Old Testament prophet. First New Testament preacher, someone said. And here's Jesus talking about him. What went you for is he? A prophet? Yes, and more than a prophet. How could you be more than a prophet? Well, that's what Jesus said about John. He says that in the 7th of Luke as well. We were in Luke chapter 1. And I want you to know that the man who spoke those words that we were just reading there from Luke 1, that was his father, Zacharias. And Zacharias got a word about John. Look at verse 17 of Luke 1. And he, that's talking about this little baby's going to be born, this John the Baptist. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of, our New Testament says, Elias. That's the same fellow that we know as Elijah in the Old Testament. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was somebody to get others ready. Now it's interesting. When we think about the prophets in the Old Testament. We think about Elijah who worked a great number of miracles. And Elisha who worked twice as many miracles. 
And yet John 10 tells us John did no miracle. He wasn't a prophet in the Old Testament cast, but he was a prophet, as Jesus himself said. He was more than a prophet. So we think about John. If anybody qualified for being the greatest prophet, you might think it was John. But you'd be wrong. I think a lot of you know exactly who the greatest prophet is. It's none other than the Lord himself. Turn with me, please, back to the book of Deuteronomy. One prophet to another. Moses is talking, and the people didn't always listen to Moses. The people didn't always take what he had to say so seriously. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Look at verse 15. And we'll find this essentially repeated in the 18th verse as well. But we do want to read 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee, and probably in your Bible, the word prophet is spelled with a capital P. Is it in your Bible anyway? You think you know why? Because this is a very, very, this is the greatest prophet we're talking about right here. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. Of thy brethren. He won't be a Gentile. He won't be some guy from outer space beaming down. No. He will be of your people. Like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. He'll have something to say. I hope you listen. In John chapter 1, it tells us that when John the Baptist began preaching, they said, Who are you? Are you Elijah? Well, he came in the spirit of Elijah, just like he was indicated. But he wasn't Elijah. Not literally. Although someone we're going to look at in just a moment along that line. He says, No, I'm not. I'm not Elijah. Are you that prophet? Are you the one that Moses was talking about? Nope, nope. That's not me. Then who are you? I am one as a voice in the wilderness. I'm calling people to be prepared. I'm telling you, the one coming after me is to be preferred before me. I'm just the front man, if you will. I'm the one to pave the way. I'm the one who's Saying, hear ye, hear ye. I'm the one who is in the front saying, the best is yet to come. The one that comes behind me, you'd better listen. You'd better take with all seriousness what this one has to say. Now go with me please to the book of Acts where you see John went away, men thought, Although, just like it says in the book of Hebrews, he being dead yet speaking. I'm glad he does. But after the crucifixion, burial, resurrection, ascension of Christ, Peter has opportunity to preach. And he says something in chapter 3, in verse 22. This 
is in the context where he said, you hated him. You wouldn't listen to his words. You called for his crucifixion. But God has vindicated him. Yes, you put him in the ground, but God brought him up. For Moses truly said to the fathers, and again he quotes what we already read back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up and give your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. Now, I want you to see something about John. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes his inner circle. You know, the Lord had many to listen to him. He preached one sermon in John 6 and all but 12 were left. And of those 12, his apostles, one of them was Judas. But within that 12, there was a trio. This was the same trio that he had with him the night he was betrayed. He took them to the garden and said, you pray, I'm going to go pray. Well, before that, in the 17th, he takes them to a place we call the Mount of Transfiguration. They've been to the mountain. They saw Jesus and he was transfigured. His clothing bright like sunlight. And he wasn't alone. I don't know which one was on which side, but he had Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. Now, I honestly don't know how Peter, James, and John knew which one was Moses. And which one was alive? I don't know that they had name tags. And they hadn't seen the movie The Ten Commandments, so they looked for the guy to look like Charlton Heston. But somehow, it was clear to them that one was Moses and one was Elijah. And that was a great thing. But I want you to know that the apostles that were there, that made a difference. Peter will say later, I was with him in the Holy Mount. But sometimes the after time, the other shoe drops, so to speak. Notice with me, please, start at verse 10. His disciples asked him, saying, because they, they were thinking about this. And the Lord said, don't tell anybody about this till after I've died. But they were thinking about it. They couldn't help but think about it. And so the disciples asked him, Why then say that the scribes that Elias, we say Elijah, must first come? Now, we've been told that Elijah's going to come first before Messiah. So what's going on? We saw Moses, we saw Elijah, and we saw you there in the middle. Uh, help us out with our planning this whole thing. Figure it out. And Jesus answered and said to them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. Now there was a time I thought, yeah, one of these days, way, way down the road in the future, God's going to bring Elijah back and he's going to be doing some things. But the Lord wasn't talking about something that was yet to happen. He's talking about something that happened right then, right there. How do I know? Well, I've read it. Let's 
foolish helpers come and restore all things. But I say unto you, don't put it in the future, it's present tense, folks, that Elias has come already. And they knew him not. They didn't have a clue. But have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. And I want you to know that they connected the dots when the Lord said that. The light bulb came on. The Father gave them some insight as Jesus said about Peter later on. Because verse 13 says, Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So if there's anybody as a candidate to be the greatest prophet, up to this point, it had to be John the Baptist. But it's not, because John was there to talk about this one, this greatest prophet. You know, it's interesting when Jesus would work some of his miracles, people said, uh, if, if this isn't the Christ, uh, what about this guy? Look, look at the things that he does. For example, in chapter 21 of Matthew, verse 11, the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. They recognized that he was a prophet. And then go to the last verse in that 21st chapter because the chief priests, they knew Jesus was talking about them. But look at verse 46. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they, that is the people, the common people out there, they knew there was something unique about Christ. They took him for a prophet. We can say that this one was, of course, the greatest prophet that comes out of Matthew and Mark and Luke. And just a couple I want to read you from John. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Let's say the scripture. Some of these are come up again and again and again for time consideration. I'm not going to read all of them, but John chapter 4. Look at uh, verse 19. Because when Jesus met the woman at the well, he begins to talk to her. This woman wasn't even a Jewess. She was a Samaritan. She was an outsider. Some would have called her a half-breed in her day. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She just met him, and yet she could tell that Jesus was a prophet. And so, go to chapter 6, verse 14. You know, loaves, fishes, distributed, folks fed till they had all they could eat. And there was still a bounty left over, far more than they had to start out with. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did. You know, sometimes people gather up and they say, oh, not much here. 
Sometimes they gather up and what a blessing. That reminds me, Brother Sean, what was our counselor for? Twelve hundred twenty-six. You went out with empty baskets, didn't you? That's a blessing. That's good to know. Could you imagine the fellows that distributed the food when the Lord blessed the flows of the fishes? And all we had was a couple of fish and a couple of pieces of bread and 12 baskets full. Wow. Now the fellow's bringing it back. Hey, this, this, something's been done here. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of the truth. That prophet that should come into the world. This is not some Joe Schmo prophet. This is not some run-of-the-mill prophet. Look at chapter 7. Verse 4. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this, saying that of a truth, this is the prophet. We're not talking about Joseph Smith. We're not talking about Ellen G. White. And we're certainly not talking about Muhammad. We're not even talking about John the Baptist. We're talking about Jesus Christ. They acknowledged him to be the prophet. In chapter 9, verse 17. This is the chapter where the Lord comes to a village <coughs> and there's a man there. He's a full-grown man, but he's been blind all his life. He's never seen the light of day. And everybody knew that. He lived with his parents. Everybody knew that this was the town blind man. And Jesus gives him his signs. Look at verse 17. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he had opened thine eyes? You know what the man said about Jesus? He didn't call him a flim flam man. He says, He is a prophet. Huh? I take it for that. And yet, human nature is such, people don't know. Somebody has written a song, probably a lot of people have written a song, along the lines of, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Have you ever heard that? Heard somebody express that idea? Well, it's true. In uh, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives his followers a reality check. You know, there's some people like, you follow Jesus, everything will be rosy and smooth sailing, everybody's going to love you. I guarantee you, if you really follow Jesus Christ, things aren't always, quote, positive, encouraging, like some of the folks who are reading would like to tell you. Sometimes it just gets hard. They that are godly shall suffer persecution. Tribulation comes. When you're really living for the Lord. Now, there are a lot of people who do what Mr. Lot did, and they just kind of coast and try to fade in to the surroundings. And when they do say something, it's usually too little or too late. So it said Matthew chapter 13. Look with me, please. And verse 57. Because when Jesus said some things, 
People didn't like it. You believe that? Some people like, well, a preacher is supposed to always smooth things over. Make everybody feel good about themselves. We want to hear those smooth things. Paul said the last days will be teachers because the people have itching ears. They know what they want to hear. And just don't ruffle our feathers. Tell us we're all wonderful people. We'll all just be happy, happy, happy. That'll just be tremendous. Now, won't but Jesus said some things and people got just downright angry at him and they were offended in him. Can you imagine people being offended at Jesus? He came to a house once and the little girl in the household had died. And Jesus said, she's not dead, she sleeps. And they went from being sad to being mad at him. They thought you mock our pain, mister. It says they laughed him to scorn. Jesus went in, spoke to the maiden. She came forth. I don't think they laughed him to scorn then. They're probably ashamed for what they did. Have you ever been ashamed for the way you've done Jesus? I have. Not what somebody else said or did. What I have thought or said or done. You see, you really get into the Word and it will convict you. That's one way we can think of it being the sword of the Spirit. Swords aren't there just to clean your fingernails out with. No. They get down to the business. They were offended in it, but Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and his own house. That comes out again and again. It comes out back in Mark and in Luke. How that the false prophets, they're the ones that would have people to say wonderful things about them. In fact, back in the Sermon on the Mount, I'll just give you this one from Matthew chapter 6. Verse number 4. Make sure that your alms be done in secret. Your father receives in secret. I'm sorry. I meant uh, Mark chapter 6. It would help if I could read my own writing. So even with my glasses, I don't see so well sometimes. That's an, that's an inside of the story. We'll have to tell you that one later. Here, here. Mark chapter 6 and verse 4. Yes. Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. It's interesting that people sometimes said, well, if you're a prophet, give us a sign. Give us a word. Help us to verify that you are the real deal. Well, look with me, please, in John chapter 2. Because when people ask for a sign, they just might be saying something they don't want you to figure out about them. John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Then answered the Jews and said, What sign showest thou in us, seeing that thou doest these things? We, we, we want you to put up a hush up. And he didn't give them a long, drawn-out explanation. 
He was short and sweet and hushed them up. Then answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They didn't understand what he was talking about. Context tells he was talking about the temple of his body. They took that to mean this grand structure which took 46 years for Herod's construction team to put together. In fact, they remember that at the crucifixion. They said, hey, carpenter, you said you were going to raise the temple in three days. How are you going to do that with nails in your hands? It was just sport to them. On another occasion, go back to Matthew, please. Chapter 12. When people said, give us a sign. Come on, come on. Talk is cheap. Give, give us something. And Jesus would not dignify that with working a miracle at that time in that place. But he went back to their own paths. You want a sign? I'll give you one man's name and he'll say everything. Matthew chapter 12, start at verse 38. Then certain the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we didn't see a sign from him. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. That was a, a preacher of a different stripe in the last century. And he wrote a book, probably the best title I've ever seen about the subject. He said, Signs or no signs, Jesus is coming. Yeah. Oh, Jesus is coming. How do you know? Oh, because the buzzards are laying more eggs than ever before. That's because they're getting ready for the, the battle of Armageddon. Jesus is coming. How do you know? Oh, some cow gave birth to a, a red heifer. And that proves it. Jesus, how do you know? Well, the Jews are moving back into Palestine. That's the, and, and people are looking for signs and signs and signs. And uh, just about anybody could pull something out of their sleeve. So the man wrote the book, Signs or No Signs. Whether you see it or not, whether you know it or not, Jesus is coming. Amen. And we need to know that. And we need to live that way. And so again he says, And even an adulterous generation seek that precise. And there shall no sign be given to it. You want a sign? I'll give it to you. Jonah. Huh? How could Jonah be a sign that this is really the prophet? I don't get it. Well, it does explain. As Jonah is three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know what people say when they don't believe? We'll see. We'll see. And we can say back to him, yeah, we'll see. In Noah's day, he was building and preaching, preaching and building. And Noah, what are you doing? Building this ark. Why? Because God's going to flood this earth. I'll believe it when I see it. It'll be too late then. And the animals showed up. And the family up in there, and the last one, Noah, he gets in, and the Lord shuts the door, and the rain begins. And it wasn't a little sprinkle. The waters rose and rose and rose and rose, and the planet was overcome with water. 
too little, too late. You want proof that Noah knew what he was talking about? That Noah was a prophet of God? Just look at the flood. You want to know that Jonah was a great prophet? Well, swallowed by a whale, and yet three days later he spewed up on land. And that time he was an obedient prophet. And Jesus says, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of that whale, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. Oh, when they saw him on the cross, they said, ha, 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 that's the end of him. And when they heard that his body had been taken to a borrowed tomb and buried, ha, 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 we'll never hear any more about him. And three days later, wow. You see, the Lord knows how the story is going to go. And this great truth is affirmed in the scripture again and again. For example, on that third day, you talk about somebody who'd be Glumgus. There was a guy named Cleopas and the other Glumgus, we'll call him. They were on a trail. They weren't on the Jericho Road. They were on the Emmaus Road. We read about the last chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 24. And they're walking along there. And when Jesus sees them, and they see him, he says, uh, why are you fellows looking so sad? That's back in verse 17. And they said, Mister, where have you been the last few days? Well, they figured that out. But they didn't know just then. Look at verse 19. He said, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God, and all the people. So they knew, Cleopas and his friend, that Jesus was a great prophet. We already read how that Simon Peter said, in Acts chapter 3 that he was the great prophet. And finally, you might not agree with me, but I'm, I'm convinced with Paul that the Spirit used to write the book of Hebrews. The first two verses speak volumes. You want a good summary of the whole Old Testament? All 39 of those? Look at verse 1. God and everything starts with God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, I mean, he used words, he used storms, he used a talking, talking donkey, miracles, great things accomplished. He used all these ways to get out his word. God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. The prophets were his spokesmen. But then we come to the center of the whole experience of man. And Christ comes in the world. We don't need talking donkeys in the New Testament. We have God made flesh dwelling among us. We talked with somebody not long ago. I said, what do you think about the last times? And I said, the last times? Been around a while. 
Well, you, you think we're actually in them? Oh, absolutely. They were around 1900 years before I was born. What? I never heard that. Well, Hebrews 1 verse 2, it says, Hath in these last days, and this was written last week, folks, Hath in these last days spoken of by his Son. That sounds like a prophet to me, doesn't it to you? Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. I mean no disrespect, but Jesus wore a lot of hats. We speak of his prophet and priest and king. And in these messages, we've just been talking about him as a prophet. There are a lot of humans who are prophets. Some were better prophets than others. But the ultimate prophet. We're not talking about Joseph Smith. We're not talking about Ellen G. White, and we're certainly not talking about Muhammad. We're not even talking about John the Baptist. We're talking about Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the only begotten Son of God. He would foretell. He would foretell. He would serve as God's man, God's Son, made flesh, and speaking to the ages anticipated from the time of the garden and realized about 2,000 years ago. And now we look back. And we look back to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, if you say, I'd like to, I'd like to be close to that one. I'd like to know more about that Jesus. Let me tell you, He came in this world. He spoke. He worked. He left a legacy. And that legacy we refer to as the church and the kingdom. He's got all this going on. And some people, they say, I want a miracle. I want a sign. What did Jesus say about the people that cry out for signs? They're adulterous. Spiritually adulterous. What God has already done ain't good enough for me is what you're saying. Your hope and mine your neighbor, your family member, your fellow worker, anybody you bump into, and they say, I just wish I knew what the answer is. Jesus. Amen. Look to Jesus. Look to Him. That's why we say, look and live. The apostles, Paul and Silas, <laughs> it's a stew beaten out of them and then dumped in an old, probably rat-infested, straw-covered floor prison in Philippi. And when the Lord caused the jail to shake, the jailer was ready to take his own life. And they said, do yourself no harm. We're still here. And he bounded. And I'm not sure what he was thinking, but he said, what shall I do? How shall I be saved? I think he was thinking, how can I be saved from being killed because Surely the prisoners might have escaped. How can I let this happen on my watch? Well, no matter what he was thinking, whatever he might have been fearing, they told him the best thing he could hear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And he said, well, what about, what about? That's the main thing. We look to Christ. We see Jesus. We put Jesus on display. Yes, there are some things that he taught and we need to teach and we need to believe, we need to practice. 
And we need to take those things seriously. But what is the main thing? Jesus Christ is still in the business of saving souls. If you're a sinner today and the Lord has shown you the free pardon of His grace, if He's shown you how desperately you need Jesus Christ, because you do, I do, I think every true Christian would have to admit, I, I, st I need the Lord. We need Him every day. We sing that song, I need thee every hour. Well, even if we lost an hour of daylight saving, we need Him this hour too, don't we? So, we could sing that or whatever else you might have in mind. But why don't we sing?